Welcome to the School Selector Podcast, the podcast that helps you find the perfect school for your child. Today we're visiting the Green Shoots International School in Vietnam. So sit back and relax and let's get to it. So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, well, my name is Catherine and I was born in Oxford and I spent my childhood in rural Oxfordshire and then age 13 my world changed. My parents moved to Singapore for work and I enrolled at United World College of Southeast Asia, which was a life-changing experience for me. Um, Introduced me to Asia, made me fall in love with Asia and I've been that way ever since. Um, And then I came back to the UK to study Mandarin Met a Vietnamese man, so didn't go to China, went to Vietnam <laughs> and, <laughs> and ended up starting a family in Vietnam. And, and Green Shoots was the um, was the my third child, as my two um, actual children call it. It was uh, it was a labor of love for them uh, to create something that I hoped would be rather like the UWC experience that I had in Singapore. I wanted to recreate them, re- recreate for them in Vietnam. Wonderful. Uh, give us a quick introduction to the school. So it started as a homeschooling group. Uh, My kids were born in Hanoi, and when they were about six and eight, we moved down to Hoi An, which is in central Vietnam. It's a small town. that At that point, there were no facilities for international education. So uh, we set up a small homeschooling group, myself and two other families. And from that, the idea of, of Green Shoots emerged. And as I say, I wanted to create or recreate the UWC experience with a focus on family, on values, living through our values um, and growing within a small community to create something that would help young children grow into themselves with a sense of self, a sense of purpose and a sense of confidence. Wonderful. And where is the school exactly? Well, it's in Hoi An, which is a UNESCO heritage town in central Vietnam. It's a beautiful town. It's uh, on the edge of a 30-kilometre-odd stretch of sandy beaches um, that goes up to Da Nang, which is the, the main metropolis for central Vietnam. Uh, the campus at the moment is a higgledy-piggledy selection of, of small houses that we've put together as we've grown organically over the last 10 years. Um, but we're looking to move into a, a proper purpose-built campus, which is what my focus is at the moment, and the, the intention is that we'll be moving into that this coming Learn about the things that this school values. So tell us a bit about your school's mission. Oh, goodness, where shall I start? (laughs) We are very mission-focused, very um, driven by our values. We have eight core values. And if you look on our website, you can see an explanation of all of them. But they centre around the value of respect. And that's respect for ourselves, for others and for our world. Um, and that really is is the core of everything that we do, everything that we. The programme, the staffing, the way the day is laid out, everything is focused around these core values. Within that context, what we try to do is really encourage the nurturing of the whole child. So it's very important for us that, yes, children need a solid academic background, but there's so much more that we can give the children in our care and it's our focus is really on that development of of self-confidence but with humility with humility so you go into the world these kids grow up they go into the world with the confidence that they can do what they would like to do um, but with the humility to know that they are not 
not, the, the world isn't beholden to them. Um, they must earn the respect of others. They must earn whatever it is that they're working towards. And I think that's that's for us is the the critical sort of dynamic between the two elements of of who a rounded adult human being is. Um, and these these values and these these um, these goals, I guess, are lived at every stage of the of the experience at Green Shoots, as I've said. So we have our morning assemblies, for example, and our assemblies will be structured around a core value. So we, every several weeks, we will switch from one core value to the other. And we do this every school year and we'll build upon the value so that the kids at every different stage and age can work out what that value means and how they can live it. Um, and then even, let's say, for at lunchtime, we don't limit how much the kids can eat, of course, but we'll say, just take what you think you can manage. If you're hungry, go back for more, but don't waste. Don't be greedy. Don't over overfill your plate. Try to try a little bit of everything. Um, where there's a, a conflict perhaps on the playground, we focus in terms of resolution, we focus on how the kids can understand the other person's perspective, where they're coming from, how they ended up in conflict, whatever that conflict might be, how they can resolve it respectfully. So every element of school life is built around these values. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and what does your school excel at? Uh, I think the sense of community is a thing that comes through most strongly for most people. Um, and that's something that the, the parents comment on, the staff comment on, and even the oldest children who are able to sort of, uh, you know, look at it with that outside perspective, those who have seen other schools. It, it's something that comes through for everybody. And then beyond that, we are a very small school, but we still have a very strong focus on student achievement. And we have got a track record of our students going on to fantastic IB schools and then on to the university from there. Um, and thirdly, I would say that that balance between the sort of academic and the socio-emotional development um, is something that we that we do really well. We manage to tick both of those boxes from, for, for our kids as they grow, which I'm very proud of. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and um, the, the, the school's set up ownership, you mentioned that you set it up with two other families. How is it structured now? So, in fact, the school itself is uh, is a, a single member company. Vietnam doesn't allow not-for-profits in education, um, right. so it has to be a company structure. And the homeschool was set up with a couple of other families, but Green Shoots itself, I set up on my own. So that's the the ownership structure. Okay. But in terms of in terms of governance, we have an advisory board. And you can look on the website to find out more about our advisors. Um, and I meet with them and the head of school uh, two, usually three times a year to discuss issues around the school's development, um, the kind of things you would expect a school board to do. So uh, covering everything from safeguarding to budgeting and everything in between. So True. because it's a... Um, because of the structure of the company, it doesn't have a management board per se, but it has a, a board of, of uh, an advisory board which oversees the governance of the school. Great. And uh, your current strategic objectives? So we have a strategic plan, which again is on the website. You can go to the about sec about us section and then to the publications, and it's it's all fully explained in there. But we have, in essence, we've got four areas that we focus on. There's the learning, which for us is is that combination of um, creative but 21st century learning so very much looking forward to what the needs of the future will be rather than sort of traditional educational styles then we've got what we call thrive and that branch is is looking at creating happy healthy safe children with confidence 
and with that sense of, of inner value and inner mission. So that's our thrive section. Then we've got Unite. And what we look at under that part of our strategy is building partnerships. So with each other, with other schools, um, providing voice. So stakeholder voice, whether it's parents, staff or students, we take that very seriously. And in the partnership side, we recently just co-founded this year um, the Central Vietnam International Schools Group, which many cities have this. But in our area, there weren't enough schools until very recently. So we've just co-founded that group, um, which is now developing collaboration in sports and some other things. And then finally, we have, the, if you like, the, the branch of the tree that supports those three areas what we call BRACE, and that's the infrastructure. That is the the systems, the facilities, the financing, the the IT, all of those things that you need to make the other things work. So those are our four strategic areas that we focus on. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you mentioned uh, hoping about uh, a new facility. What are your concrete plans that you have for the next few years for the school? So that's a major one, and that's something that we're looking to develop in in the in the coming months. Uh, we have a plan in place, um, and that's something which I think is very important because our current facility is, is wonderful, and our kids love it. We've got walls covered in murals. You've got kind of secret passages between buildings as we've grown organically, but it doesn't have the facilities that older children need. Um, and even for our current eldest students who are IGCSE level, we do have the facilities for, for example, Science Lab, but it's not as comprehensive as we'd like. We don't have a huge range of sporting facilities. So again, we work with outside providers right now, but it would be good to have those on site. But our other immediate plan is the introduction of the IBDP, the diploma program. So obviously for that, we do need to upgrade our facilities. And that's there's a clear linkage between those two. We need a, a DT studio. We need much more advanced science facilities. So all of those are coming. And we are currently candidate school with the IB. And our hope is that we will introduce the DP program in the summer of 24. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, in terms of uh, accreditations and memberships, where is the school? So we're uh, approved and accredited by the local government, of course, which is the Department for Education and Training. You need to you need to tick a lot of boxes to get that. Um, and they reassess you every few years just to make sure that you're still on track. In addition to that, we became a COBIS member school in 2015. So the Council of British International Schools um, I th when I last looked, we were one, I think, of only two COBIS schools in Vietnam. And that's, that allows us access to all sorts of resources for our staff, as well as lots of competitions for our students, which is great because we are in a small town and there aren't a lot of other schools around. So a lot of this, especially since COVID, so many online opportunities have come up um, and we do take advantage of those through COVID for the kids. And then there's there's professional development for staff and so on. So um, we, we have a... a we we take full advantage of our COBIS membership and we're very grateful for the assistance that they gave us as we were growing in terms of developing governance in, infrastructures and other things that they needed us to do and they helped us to achieve. Right. Um, in 2016, we became a Cambridge school, uh, which obviously is curriculum accreditation, but we've had it in place since then. We're also an IPC school, so international primary curriculum. And then in 2019, we became a member of the Council of International Schools. Um, and at the time, I believe we were one of the, the seven or eight smallest schools in the world to achieve CIS member status. <laughs> so we were pretty chuffed with that. Um, and we, we were also the only CIS school in central Vietnam. So we're now working towards accreditation again, accredited status of CIS. 
Um, but that has certain standards that relate to facilities. So we will go, we will complete that process after our move. Find out about the people who make up this community. So let's talk about people for a moment, Catherine. Uh, maybe start with your leadership team. Could you tell us a little bit about them? Yes, well, it's a it, it's a small leadership team because we're a small school. So sure. I work uh, with our head of school, Rick, who joined us in the first year of COVID and had to um, begin his tenure at Green Shoots from the US because he was unable to get into Vietnam, working at sort of 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. or something ridiculous. My goodness. Um, so he had a baptism of fire, but he's now been in country for almost three years. Um, I mentioned earlier a couple of families that I co-founded the uh, the homeschool with. One of those was Sue, and it was uh, Sue and I who came up with the idea of Green Shoots. And she has been with us from day one. And she has been all things to all people in the last decade. Her current role is Director of, of Administration and Admissions, I believe. But it could okay. be anything. She does pretty much everything which isn't leading the academic program. <laughs> um, so so it's really uh, Sue and Rick on the ground. And then the strategic side is myself. Um, and I, I go in and out of Vietnam. But, you know, as I said at the beginning of the pop podcast, I'm based primarily in the UK now. Okay. So and what about work. your faculty, your teachers? Tell us about the people who work with the kids. So we have most of our, well, um, all of our homeroom and classroom teachers are expats, as it's a British um, curriculum and, and, and language program. Uh, mostly native English speakers. We've had, uh, we've had and have still one native French speaker, um, but primarily from the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand over the years. Ages range from, you know, fresh out of training, mid-20s, early 30s, to people with 35 years experience under their belt um, in their perhaps early 60s. Different curriculum backgrounds, again, US, UK, Australia, France. But I think what unifies them all is they are all dedicated educators and they joined Green Shoots because they wanted to be part of our community and to be working in an environment that is led by the values in the way that ours is. Fantastic. And um, how long do they stay on average? Usually three years or more. Uh, that was thrown slightly by COVID because, again, people, first of all, couldn't leave. And then when they could leave, they hadn't seen their families for a long time. So some of them chose to actually just move home rather than go to a holiday. Um, but we've had some who we've got a couple of members of staff who have now been with us, I think, seven or eight years. So since... Right very shortly after we've begun. Wonderful. So it really does range. But... And are they all formally trained in the countries that they come from? Absolutely, yeah. Right. So we have, we have a minimum, obviously, of a bachelor's degree in education. And in fact, that's a prerequisite for getting a, a work permit in Vietnam anyway. Oh, so course. we wouldn't be able to hire anybody who didn't have that. Some schools do get around that by hiring somebody as an EAL teacher and then putting them in the classroom. Uh, we don't do that. Um, so they are all uh, qualified at least a bachelor's degree. When I last looked, we had, I think, more than 50% also had master's level um, qualifications. Um, they don't have to specifically have training in our curriculum. Uh, many of them do. Some will come in and, and develop that that expertise in-house. Sure. Uh, I, I think when we get to the IB, we will need 
at that point, the IB has very specific um, demands in terms of qualifications. So at that point, we will have to hire with the IB in mind. Sure. And what about um, staff to student ratio as a small school? I guess that's uh, pretty good. It is. Yes, it is. Well, it's great for the, for the kids It's um, and, and for the teachers. It's not so great for the balance sheet. Indeed, indeed. I know the nervous scenario. Yeah, but it, but it is fantastic. We have, um, I think our maximum student numbers for a class are 22, but we've almost never reached that point. Um, some of our secondary classes are five, six kids. Um, sure. So th- it's a really good ratio for the for the student learning. There's a lot of individualised learning that we're able to facilitate. Wonderful. So the, the kids are getting a, a, a really intense and wonderful experience uh, from the teachers, yes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And what, very and close. What, you mentioned parents being really important in your community. Tell us a bit mm-hmm. about your parent body. So it's a mixture of expatriates and Vietnamese, um, sometimes within the same family, sometimes independently. Um, It's also a mixture of self-employed people who have come to the region to do something different, to set up, often a hospitality because it is a large tourism region. So people who run restaurants or who are running homestays or small hotels. Um, So they range from the self-employed who've shown up for a personal reason to senior management position holders in international chains like the you know the Accor Group or other many of the other hotel chains uh, that are operating in the area, so a real range of people. But I think again, what what brings them together because when I mentioned that when we opened, there weren't really any alternatives. There are now. There are other schools, True. but what brings together the parents who choose Green Shoots is their appreciation of our approach to education and what we think education means and should be for children. Um, and, and they appreciate, I guess, the, the breadth of experience that we can give to their children. And that's what brings them all together, although they're very different people. Okay. And you mentioned uh, that the involvement is really important. What does, how does that manifest itself uh, in your school? So we have a, a parent network. Um, and within that, there's a large number of parent reps so each class will have a parent rep each language group a major language group amongst the parent body we try to ensure that there's a parent rep if we can find someone to take that role Um, there are section reps as well primary early years and secondary and then there's an overall parent rep so there's a whole system of representation and the um, the parent network will meet once a term with the head of school Uh, obviously there's informal communications much more regularly than that but there's a sort of formal meeting once a term um, which allows for discussion of event planning, idea sharing, um, any questions or concerns, any suggestions uh, are shared with the school that way. And then the network is also quite heavily involved in community events. So with things like International Week, Literacy Week, Sports Day, and also supporting other parents, new parents coming in, things like uh, coffee mornings, getting to know other people, helping to find a bank or a supermarket or that kind of thing so wonderful and um if i were to chat with some of your parents uh without you being around what do you think they would tell me they like most about your school you know i think i think what they would say is actually a very simple simple answer their kids are happy when they come to school right i think we as parents that's what we want and and that's what we give to our parents 
Fantastic. And and do you measure uh, parent satisfaction levels or is that not yet appropriate in the community size? We have? have done informally. We do often. Uh, formally, we've done so twice. So we had a survey um, in as part of our CIS membership process, which is carried out by Endicott. And I think Endicott are not they no longer work with CIS on this. But at the time, so it's a very you, you'll know it. And it's a very sort of well-structured, independent process. Um, and we did a, an in-house one as well. Um, again, one of those, I forget which, but we did summarize it and put it on the website if anyone's interested. Uh, so we've done that twice. We will have, I'm sure, another formal um, CIS uh, survey of the parent body when we move to the accredited status. Right. Um, and then there's informal surveying a lot and of what, the time. What kind of feedback do you get from them? Oh, with regard to what elements of the school? I mean, this we we oh, on just, you know, gen, general feedback from parents. What 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 uh, uh, what would they uh, uh, say is is really strong, and what what would they say uh, uh, perhaps needs improvement? Um, I think in terms of <laughs> sorry, in terms of strengths, I think the things that I I've mentioned to you before about that what brings people together and makes them choose us as a school. So that that balance that we offer for their children between academic rigor and and personal growth, um, and 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 simply the happiness factor, which is really important uh, for you know for your kids, you want them to be happy at school. So those things always come through quite strongly, um, right. and a lot of the sort of secondary service provision, if you like, things like the, the food. People love the food. We take a lot of pride in the food that we serve. It's all. Um, cooked on site even even our yogurt is made daily fresh Wonderful. by the kitchen staff so I'll be popping by. good feedback <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely I do. um and the the main uh area for improvement is always the facilities and that's why we are so focused right now on, on upgrading those and providing right. improvement and access to both more and better facilities for for everybody Fantastic. And let's move on to the most important group of people now, the students. Uh, tell us about uh, your student body, first of all. So they're very internationally diverse, even though we're a very small school. Our current student body is only about 100 students. We're represented at least every year by about 20 different nationalities. Right. Um, within that, we we do cap um, individual nationalities because we want to make sure that we retain that diversity it's very easy to to have 20 different nationalities but you know out of 100 students 80 of them are Vietnamese and the other uh, 20 of the other 19 nationalities so we cap at 20 percent um, any given nationality so it really okay. is a rounded population at the moment it's primarily uh, primary students um, just because that's the the, the campus is facilitates that age group better than it does sure. older students so we are very focused on building up our secondary program like i say with the ibdp coming up um, but at the moment it's primarily younger children right and how do you name and structure your grades and and sections you use the uk system or us or or your own uk system um, we do have a chart for incoming parents who are confused by how that works. And then we have a chart that compares it to American and Australian and Singapore and Japan and China and all the other major countries that we can think of to try and give people reference points. But in addition to that, just saying, you know, year one, key stage one is a bit dull for the kids. So the, the children name their class group every year. 
So we, on the administrative side, follow the UK system. But each year, the classes will have their own names. And the kids will choose one of the first things they do at the beginning of the school year, usually named after an endangered animal, perhaps a specific animal in Vietnam. Um, we The first time we did this, uh, we were experimenting with how it work, might work. And at that point, we were still very small. And we had a group of secondary kids. There was about five or six kids, two of whom were my son and Sue's son. And these hulking, great 15-year-old boys came back with the name the Unicorns. So <laughs> there you go. So absolutely down to the kids. And they come up with, with some great names every year. That's fantastic. And that talks to, to the level of um, student involvement in your school. Uh, does, can you yeah. tell us about how they're, how they're involved in, in their learning, but also maybe in decision making and, and the social life of the school? Mm. So we have a student council, um, which meets again with the head of school as the, the parent rep and the parent network does. And they share ideas um, and they, they, you know, any, you never know what's going to come up, what's on the student's mind, but it comes up in those meetings. Um, they also have, we have three schoolhouses and the kids have leadership of that. So the secondary kids will have a an elected leader for each of the houses. We survey the kids often on things like um, food, you know, menu choices, uh, the ECA program, other things that may be of interest to them. And we also have a buddy system, which we really like. It brings together the older kids and the younger kids. Um, yeah. And we like to think of them learning from each other because the older kids will come and read to the little kids, but the little kids might get the older ones playing in the sandpit. Or, you know, there's a lot of sort of collaborative stuff between the children. But also because we're so small, a lot of the student involvement is just ad hoc on a daily basis. They'll just pop sure. up to somebody and the the relationship between the teachers and the staff is is very close. Everybody knows everybody. We intentionally we we decided when we opened the school that we how how would the kids address the, the staff because that's quite a critical indicator of the relationship, isn't it? And it what is. we decided that we would be, for example, I'm Miss Catherine, so I'm not just Catherine because I'm not your mate, but I'm also not Mrs McKinley because that's that's a bit cold and a bit scary and so there's a very close relationship between the kids and a lot of the kids I've been in the UK for three years now and each time I go back kids who remember me I walk on campus and they go oh hi Miss Catherine and it's just lovely and they haven't seen me for six months and and I get waves and they come up and tell me about their day and so there's a lot of very informal interaction that that really contributes I think to to that whole involvement of students in in their own life and in their own learning sure. and and uh you know if i were to ask some students what they love most about the school what do you think they would say what comes through again like with the parents is that sense of community they really do feel right. that they are a green shoot student and that and that means something and they feel it very strongly and that rapport i think as i just mentioned between the teachers and the students i think that's a large part of that um, they do really feel that they belong to something and it belongs to them, which is equally important. Um, on a more sort of practical level, I think they they love the play areas that we have. So we don't have a big campus and it's not at the moment that well equipped, particularly for older kids, but it is very friendly and it is very open. As I said, they've got murals everywhere. We've got recycled toys that our maintenance staff pull together. And just one, one Monday, the kids will come in and there's an 
a new recycled tire toy that's shown up from nowhere and they all get very excited and have to explore it. So that kind of thing. Learn about the different sections of the school. Let's zoom in on the different sections of the school now, uh, starting with the youngest children. Tell us about your early years programme. So we actually started as a kindergarten, um, although Sue and I both had older children. Uh, I was told that to set up a school in Vietnam would be easier if I started at a kindergarten level and then built up. Right. Um, so that's what we did. So our first few years were just early years. And that's Sue's passion. That's her background. So that's very much the, the foundation of Green Shoots. Right. Um, this year, though, we actually are not running an early years program for the first time ever. Okay. Uh, and that's related to our move and, you know, travel distances for, for small children and so on. So we thought we'd, we'd try for one year to to not run the program and see how that played out. Um, what transpired is, in fact, we did have some demand for the program, but as we hadn't staffed it, what we've done is we've brought the the the, the children who did want to join it into what we run as a, a staff childcare program. So we are running early years, but we're not running a curriculum program this year. What we do do when we are is sure. it does follow the uh, the the UK. Uh, early years program and we we really try to focus on on very much child-centered uh child-led learning at that at that level right indeed and and um you know the facilities obviously are going to be changing but what kind of typical school day do these kids have oh what do they do okay um well it always starts outside so again, with Vietnam, I mean, the weather allows for that pretty much sure. always. So they start off with, with outside play. On a Friday, it's a mud play. So we have a section right. of the playground that we just flood with water and the kids get dirty and they play around in the mud. It's, it's, I'd be there with them. Friday mud day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always a good start. Um, and we will set up the outside play area with different provocations so that they can really get into imaginative play and they can develop motor skills. And it changes every day. We have certain core uh, equipment, I guess, but we set it up in different ways each day. And then the kids can, can take it in whatever direction that they want to. Um, we have morning tea, uh, mid-morning, obviously. Then the kids will go inside and we'll split the, the groups if, if it is a combined group but as this as it is this year we'll split it into the younger and the older and the older ones who are getting towards key stage one level or reception level will go into slightly more formalized learning um, the younger ones will continue with play-based activities lunch then a nap or quiet time again depending on the age of the child and then more play before afternoon tea and then they go home so it's very focused around the child and, the, and their imagination and their play and when does school start uh, we start at, goodness, what time do we start? <laughs> Eight o'clock. <laughs> and run to 3.30. Say that again. And we run until 3.30. Okay. Fantastic. I'll tell you what, we'll stop there. So how do you approach um, learning to read and write? You mentioned that some of the older kids were moving on to Key Stage 1. How does that uh, look? Yeah, so we do follow the the British um, curriculum, the reception uh, curriculum at that age, when we've got kids preparing to go into Key Stage 1. 
um, but very much it's still very much focused around reading for pleasure and right. getting the kids to 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 gain an uh, an appreciation of the process of reading and writing rather than this is something that they have to do in order to get into primary school so they're exposed to reading and writing during the course of the day it's not really taught as a formal lesson it's much more kind of intrinsic to everything else that they are doing and so that they can start to build that love for learning which again if you look on our website learning for life is our motto and that's what we try to inspire in our kids right from the very get-go for them to love the process of learning so we try to to integrate it and introduce it very much in a play play-based way fantastic and um the practical question that all parents who've got little children uh, ask is um does my child need to be toilet trained to uh, to come to school where are you with that that we we work in collaboration with the parents so um again in vietnam the approach to toilet training training is very different from the western approach sure. um and obviously we have parents from all around the world so we work individually with each family to to make sure that what's happening at home is being mirrored and respected and supported at school and vice versa and it it really just does come down to what the what the parent wants we don't ask that they be toilet trained before they come um, but equally, we don't have a fixed method of supporting that. We work with the families. So let's move on to the primary school now. Um, how many students are in your primary school? Uh, this year we have 72. So as I right. say, we've got a, the current student body is 100 and most of them are in the primary programme. Okay. And and uh, how are the classes structured? Are they mixed age groups or are they uh, uh, single age classes? Each year it it varies. This year we've got a combined one, two, and the three, four, five, six are all individual class groups. So it really depends on enrolment each year. Right. And and um, you know, how do you organise uh, uh, that uh, as you move forward? Some mixed age groups uh, uh, becoming full classes. Yes. So as we've grown, we initially, you know, the first few years we would have. We had a one, two, three, four, a five, six. We had three primary classes. Now we have five primary classes. Um, so each year as we grow, we we split out the groups. Um, but we we when we hire in teachers, we always one of our things that we're looking for is to make sure that there is that capacity uh, for teaching at different levels. Because even if you have a single grade class group, you've still got very mixed abilities within that. So you need to have the capacity to cope with that irrespective of whether it's a, a a combined class or a single age group class. Right, indeed. And tell us a little bit about um, the typical day for uh, a primary student, maybe uh, uh, for the younger ones first and then, then for the older ones. So they they actually all have a fairly similar structure of a day. Um, they, they all start with their homeroom teacher for a, a, a bit of, yeah, class time just on the pastoral side. Sure. touching base um on once a week we have assembly so it'll happen after assembly but ordinarily it's at the beginning of the school day and then they have a seven 45 minute teaching periods which the teachers okay. will will use in an age-appropriate way so obviously what that looks like for a year one is quite different from what it looks like for a year six um they have morning tea of of 30 minutes so that's uh, they tend to wolf it down and then head out to the playground for most of it Sure. And then lunch is an hour of which, again, 45 minutes is really allocated for playtime. So we don't 
rush them to finish eating. But uh, we're a small school, we can feed them fairly quickly, they can move on and, and have 45 minutes to, to play and run around and jump and climb and all of the things that kids of that age, we believe, should be doing. Fantastic. And the school finishes at three, yep? Yeah? Yes. 3.30. 3.30. 3.30. 30. And, 30. and after 3.30, after uh, do you have activities for the, for, the, for the younger ones? We do, yes. We run an ECA programme that runs most days. Uh, it varies term to term. Um, but yes, there's, there's usually something going on after school and that'll run for an hour. So we have two bus services, one at the end of the school day and one after the ECA programme. Okay. And, um, you know, I know that your facilities are going to change, but describe uh, the kind of world that the students live in. Well, their classrooms are, I guess, as any sort of creative um, primary classroom should be. Uh, we, we don't we don't have rows of desks. We have uh, clusters of students working in different parts of the room on different things. We have... Um, not over busy walls because we don't want to keep the kids distracted from what they're doing, but we have, there's colour, there's light, there's energy. Um, all of that happens within the classroom and the kids right. will create that classroom space with their teachers. So it can look a little bit different every year for every grade. Um, that's down to them, how they put it together. And then beyond that, we have, um, it's very, it's a very outdoor learning space as much as we can. So the because that the classes are all um, houses that we've converted, in essence, there's no corridors, there's no indoor space. If you're going from one class to another, you're, you're leaving and going outside and coming back in again. So it's a combination of shading from the sun, but as much as possible, it's very green. Um, we eat outside. So we have a, a, an eating deck, which is a wooden deck. Um, and it's between two buildings. We do have a cover that we can either pull back or, or pull over, depending on the weather, whether it's raining, whether it's too hot. Um, but the kids are outside when they're eating. Um, and then we have three different play spaces, which we will allocate to the different age groups at different times of play. Um, you don't want a year one being knocked over by a year nine um, playing around on the football pitch. Okay. Uh, so we do have a sort of what we call the bamboo um we have the bamboo forest, which is an area that is full of um, uh, palm trees. And we've left the palm trees there and they're spaced maybe a couple of metres apart from each other. And within right. that, we've got grass, but we've also got bamboo structures that the kids can climb on and play on. And various it changes. It depends what, you know, what our maintenance guys have come up with. But there's sure. always something to play on sure. in the bamboo forest. Then we've got the lotus field, which is our pitch. And it's not a sports compliant pitch it's a field and we've turned it into a, a play area but that's where we do the the, the big sporting area and then we've got an area that we've covered um we've astroturfed and that's for um basketball or whatever sort of hitting things over nets that the kids want to do whatever the mood takes them and then for the younger kids we've got another separate area which is uh, built around the um the sand pit and we've got a tunnel that we've turned into, you know, we've got a, a cement tunnel that we've grassed over sure. that they can climb over or crawl through. Um, so lots of very different creative spaces for playing. Fantastic. And, you know, having a nice time is one thing, um, but school is also about learning. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us how you approach, uh, uh, you know, 
learning in in your school and and how it's organized in the primary years mm. yeah so we do follow the british curriculum as i've mentioned so that's our core i guess that that provides the um the standards against which we measure the kids progress and our success in in sure. guiding them along those those paths um but we as much as possible because we are international we use the ipc so the international primary curriculum and we integrate it. Uh, it is compliant with the British system anyway. So the learning goals for the IPC, you can you can check progress using the British um, the British system. So it's all it all works together really well. But it allows us to move away from that kind of siloed approach to learning, sure. which is that English, math, science, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and to much more of a topic based, holistic approach, which is very much more in line with who we are. And if you for a parent, if you don't know the IPC, I like to explain it as sort of the IB light. It's the same concept. It's the same idea of learning through a topic rather than through a subject. Um, but for a small school like ours, it's much easier to do well um, than the IB. The IB requires a lot more staffing, a lot more in-house development. All of this you'll know. But, you know, for parents who don't know the difference, that's how I try to Indeed. explain it. So we, we use both. We use both. Um, and we use the our core subjects are taught as core subjects English and maths, and then they're uh, enhanced with IPC. Um, and the IPC is where most of the science and humanities comes in through these topics. Right, and and you know, in terms of uh, developing mathematical skills, so I guess uh, uh, and scientific skills, how do you approach that? We don't use textbooks. As a rule, uh, because again, it's very formulaic. It's not something that is is really helpful in our mind, and also it means that you can't differentiate as the children require. You have got different, not only academic abilities within a classroom, but linguistic abilities as well, which will reflect in the ability to to absorb the you know the academics. Um, so it, it is very much again, it's it's student led, in that the teacher will focus where that class group needs to be at that time um one of the, you you mentioned earlier sort of some of the, an area that the parents may ask us to improve in and i mentioned facilities what i didn't mention was we have particularly in asia um it's very common people want tests you know oh. they, they want to know how you're progressing and how their child matches up against other children etc cetera, etc cetera. we have deliberately chosen not to offer that latter part of the equation but nonetheless, we do recognise there has to be accountability as a school. We have to be able to evidence that, as you say, it's it's lovely to have a great play space, but you need to learn. That's what you're there for as well. Sure. So we've recently introduced map testing, um, which gives us the data that we can know where each child's at and what support they need from us. Um, but we we don't now map obviously allows you to to benchmark against other schools, against other students. We've opted not to do that because we don't think it's helpful for children's learning and particularly within the concept of development of confidence and so on, which is so critical from our perspective. But it does allow us to make sure that we are meeting those learning objectives for every child and where somebody might be struggling or excelling, we can either support or persist further um, to help them grow and, and keep moving on to the next level. And sounds wonderful. And um 
what about uh, the money side of this? Um, how much uh, would sending my child to your primary program cost? So we have um, three different fee categories in primary. We've got key stage one, lower key stage two and upper key stage two. So each two years, the fee bracket will go up. But right. if you average them out, they're around 11,000 US dollars. So okay. lower is less, higher is, is above. And the fees are charged in US dollars? No, they're charged in Vietnamese dong. Um, that has to be the case legally. And also for us as, as an operating entity, we need to we charge in, in what we spend in. Um, but that's the, the, the rough translation, because I imagine that's an easier number for people to get their head around than, than the equivalent tens of millions of Vietnamese dong. Let's talk about your oldest students now. Tell us a bit about your secondary school, uh, how many kids there are, uh, what programmes you offer, etc. So we have 23 kids in secondary this year. So it's a fairly small program, um, but growing. And as I say, with the DP coming up, we're hopeful that sure. it's going to grow significantly. Uh, we currently run the Cambridge program. So right. we combine in lower secondary, uh, we have historically run the Checkpoint program in combination with the, the British Curriculum Key Stage 3. And we sort of mix and match those um, as appropriate for the for the cohort that we have. Right. Consistently, though, we always run the IGCSE program. So that's what we, we um, the, with the external exams in, in year 11, as, as would be the case in any other Cambridge school. Um, right. So that's the, the basics of the of the uh, curriculum. But what I think makes our school a little bit unique and, and special. So given my UWC background, and given the fact that we're moving towards the diploma program, a few years ago we introduced our own what we call the global certificate, the global citizenship diploma, right. and it's an in-house program that we've built, and it's really designed to complement the academics of secondary because it's so easy to get drawn into that exam focus in secondary and to take out everything else that sure. we so strongly believe is important as children grow and as they become young adults. Um, so to make sure we didn't fall down that rabbit hole ourselves, we created this program and the focus is on, again, it's on the website, if you but the focus is on four different areas, community, life skills, sustainability and environment. And within that, there are different activities through the school year, uh, different projects. Each year, the kids will have a core project under this uh, citizenship diploma that they that they work on and in fact we for them to get their certificate um, when they graduate there we do actually allocate points for completion of this right. project so it does feel like an academic exercise it is an academic exercise but it's not focused on these exams or these external exams so we have right. both of those things going on for secondary kids and the typical school day how does that look like for secondary students um, it's it's fairly similar to the primary. Uh, it's timetabled slightly differently, but again, they start that pastoral focus within the homeroom environment. And then obviously, rather than having a class teacher as you do in primary, you've got specialist teachers for your different subjects. So they will they will move between rooms, which the primary kids don't unless it's for a right. specialist class like music or, or sport or drama or language. Um, also 45 minute periods. But in secondary, some of those will be double periods and some will be single. Um, they have, again, like the primary, they have a 30-minute break in the middle of the morning and their lunch is a little bit shorter. It's 45 minutes so that we can fit in a little bit more of the academics. But it's, sure. it's a fairly similar structure to the day. Okay. And what subjects are offered uh, to your secondary students? 
Um, so lower secondary is English, math, science, a foreign language, which is either French or Vietnamese, ICT, global perspectives, which is a great one, music and drama, PE, art and design tech. So that's what they'll do from years seven to nine. And then our IGCSE programme, at the moment, it's a, a fixed programme because of our size. We're not really able to sure. offer um, other subjects. What we do do, though, or what we've done in the past, is if a child is really keen to take a subject that we don't offer, we will try to support that child by helping to find a tutor or an online programme or something like that. But what we offer in-house in the school, coordinated science, which is the three sciences all in, in, in one programme, right. um, English, design tech, maths, French uh, as a foreign language, and PE. So we try to round it out um, to make sure that those five different areas of the Cambridge certificate, you know, you have the, the ICE certificate, try sure. to make sure that we've covered all of those bases so that the kids come out of um, their IGCSE programme with a, a representation of each different subject group. Um, and again, for us, we're planning ahead to the IB. You've got to have a science, you've got to have a language, you've got to have maths, Indeed. you've got to have something, you know. So we're trying to make sure that we're keeping all of those doors open for our kids so that whether with us or with somebody else, they're equipped to go on to an IB diploma programme or something like it. Right. And and how do you support students? I suppose the size is, is really important here, but how do you support students yeah. to be their best? Well, as you say, within the, the academics, within the classroom, there is very personalised attention, um, which is fantastic for the kids because the teachers just really know them well and vice versa. So they sure. really know how to work together and how to support each child. But we also have a very systematic monitoring system to check student progress. So we've got obviously the MAP assessments, which I mentioned earlier, but there is a very close collaboration between the different teachers working with each child, between the safeguarding lead and between everybody who's involved in that child's development and education, just to constantly monitor and make sure that there, there's no hiccups, that, you know, a child is being adequately challenged or supported where, where required. Um, in terms of developing their passions as opposed to developing their academic skills. Yeah, and, it's and really progress, important. That it, it really is for us. And, you know, I, I always feel like I get a bit too passionate when I talk about this. But for me, that's what drives us as human beings is our passion sure. and, and, you know, living it and, and making it, giving it purpose and giving it, make it useful. Um, so that, again, that's really where the, the global citizenship diploma comes in, in my mind, because it allows the kids to go in any of these different directions and to tailor it to what interests them. And then they can develop this project in any of those four different areas, but it can be very personal to them. So it really allows them to start building that passion in the direction that matters for them. We also have, because um, they're getting older and they may, well, at the moment, they can't stay with us. They've got to go somewhere else, but hopefully 18 months from now, they'll be able to stay with us and continue sure. their education. But the time will come that they've got to go on and do something else and be somewhere else. Um, so preparing them for that transition and preparing them for life as a young adult we really try to focus on on building leadership leadership opportunities through things like the student council um through community service uh, opportunities that we have but also leadership is such a kind of a catch-all term at the moment and it's every school says we develop leadership yeah i like to think that it's 
leadership is is more than what it says on the box. It's about that um, awareness and confidence to be somebody. And I don't mean to be somebody in the kind of I'm famous on telly sense. I mean to be somebody who who offers something to the world and has value to those around them and has intrinsic value that they that we ourselves as an individual can know what that means and can use and can can contribute. Um, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> and 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 um in terms of where kids currently go uh, after they finish, that's 15, 16, what are the options and choices currently? We've had some stay in country, so they might go, we've had a couple go down to Ho Chi Minh City or to Hanoi. Oh. Um, those would be more the Vietnamese families, obviously, who might have extended family in those cities. Uh, expats will usually leave uh, but they maybe the family would be leaving anyway or the family will plan their departure from from Vietnam to coincide with their their child's next step so we've had some families go on to Malaysia some to Thailand um, and a lot of our families as I mentioned are professionally quite flexible you know and increasingly particularly post-COVID we've also got a lot of people who work online and they can do sure. that from anywhere so they choose to be in Hoi An but they may they may move on to elsewhere and we've had several who've gone on to scholarships. So actually, um, I'm very excited to say that we've had three kids who've got on to the UWC system on scholarships. My son was one, so I was very happy about that. Um, but two others. So one, uh, he went to Wales. We had one go to uh, Armenia and one go to Japan. Um, we've had two other students who've gone to schools in Malaysia on scholarship, at IB schools. Um, and then from there, they've gone on to universities all over. So universities in the US, Australia, uh, Hong Kong, Europe. Um, yeah. Right. But so for you, um, going up to 18 is a, obviously a high priority because for those families, um, they're having to make yeah. currently having to make life choices around uh, that provision. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of grading, you mentioned uh, obviously Vietnam and uh, uh, you know, in Asia, grading is really important. Um, how do you approach grading uh, uh, students um, in the secondary school? It's it's a slow graduation from what I described in the early years, where it's also focused on play, right through to preparing them for the external exams provided by Cambridge, and we we just try to stagger that year by year. Um, and it is, yeah. I I can't really put a, a a name on the system because it does it changes every year. Um, obviously, what we try to do, as I've said, we have those we have the the quantitative system of of map testing, obviously sure. leading up to, and we have mock exams for the IGCSEs and so on. So we have that very uh, quantitative. Um, systematic I guess uh, purely academic grading system in place um, but we try very hard to balance that with a much more holistic approach to to the child's learning and and making sure that they have the support that they need in order to tick those boxes without losing everything else um, sure. that we're trying to make sure that they keep so it, it very much it's, it, it is a grade by grade year by year progression um, and I think you know the world's probably not that far away from, if not jettisoning, then certainly 
reducing the the, the reliance on these kind of testings uh, testing sure. systems that we still have so much of. But the reality at the moment is that they are there, and particularly in Asia, they are still very much valued by parents. So we we can't pretend they're not there. We can't not prepare children for them. We just try to do it in as nuanced a way as we can. Right. And what does that look like in terms of reporting? What kind of information can parents expect uh, uh, from the school around uh, their students' learning and progress? We have two uh, formal um, reports every year, mid-year and end of year. And there's info any time uh, between those. Parents can come in and chat with teachers or with section heads or if, you know, if they have a concern or they have a question, that informal system is in place all the time. But the two report cards are, are very comprehensive and you'll have um, a, a report for each subject, which has a narrative, but also has what we, we sort of, it's not really a tick box, it's more um, a progression and it's, you've got performing at expectations below and above and, and that oh. kind of graphic that you can see how kids are doing. Um, and then we will also have a section on, on the pastoral side and on the sort of socio-development, um, social development of, of each child as well and how they're getting on and and their approach to the school values and those other areas that we think are critical as well. And how much would it cost if I want to send my uh, child to uh, uh, your secondary school, Catherine? Again, yeah, we've got a fee structure for the lower secondary and a fee structure for IGCSE, but if you average them out, they're around 15,000 US per year. Explore all the other things that happen at this school. So let's move on now to co-curricular, extracurricular activities. What does the school offer in terms of, I don't know, trips, excursions? Well, each teacher will do at least one excursion uh, a day trip linked to the curriculum, uh, at least one each term. So we live in a UNESCO heritage town. So there's a huge number of opportunities for uh, cultural excursions, artistic, historical. There's also a lot of natural um, trips that we can make to the paddy fields, to the sea, to the nearby mountains. So there's a huge range of opportunities that can be tied into the curriculum. Wonderful, wonderful. And and further afield, do so the, so the students um, go off to, I don't know, other cities, other places? We do sometimes with the older kids. We try to arrange, if possible, one trip per year, um, overnight or, or several nights. Again, obviously, during COVID, this is all... Uh, sure. thrown to the wind but we're trying to, to get it back on track now and that will that will be within Vietnam um, but uh, something like um, up into the mountains where they do they could do kayaking and, and more sort of adventure sports and that kind of thing we are hoping with time we haven't done this yet but I mentioned to you the um, the Central Vietnam International Schools group that we've just co-founded and what we would like to do is once we've got that up and running within the center is to start collaborating with the schools in Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh as well and having sports events and so on and have the kids travel to and from those. It's not something we're doing yet, but it is part of the plan. Okay. And sports-wise, it's, it's uh, pretty limited. It's, well, we've the intramurals program through the, the, the group that we've founded, at the moment yeah. uh, we're working, we've got football, beach volleyball and chess I'm not sure you count chess as a, as a sport but those are the things that we've we've developed this year as collaboration with the others the other schools but as an in-house program sports program we have um, athletics we have swimming we have football we have basketball uh, gymnastics so we do a lot we just 
we often have to outsource the facilities or work in collaboration with other groups or perhaps downscale um, right. some of what we're doing into a smaller space. But we do have a pretty broad program. And the arts program at school, yeah. what does that look like? Uh, we we have a, a lovely arts program. I must say the kids are incredibly creative. Um, we have a dedicated art studio. Uh, we do to extend beyond what we can do within school. We, I mentioned again, what we do with Cobus. So Cobus has arts competitions as well as things like a math challenge and music and, and poetry writing and that kind of sure. thing. But we try to make sure that our kids get involved in those. We have student performances, usually two a year, one at Christmas, one at the end of the year. We try to have an art, uh, a fine arts exhibition, again, once a year, which we invite parents to. Sometimes we've hosted it in a local hotel so that other people can come as well. And those are always really popular. The kids really enjoy sure. those. Fantastic. And do these additional activities cost extra money? No, no. We have the only thing that we charge for additionally is the ECA program. Um, and the fees for that are minimal, though. Uh, so we do that's every day after school, as, as I mentioned before. And it's a really broad range of activities that we have, and each term will be different. And it's chosen by the kids and in collaboration with the teaching staff to, to see where those different expertise and interests can coalesce. It can be anything from, I was just looking at what we had so far this year, and we've had football, volleyball, Lego, environmental awareness, MasterChef, mindfulness, creative arts, chess, fun French and nail art. So that's what I, <laughs> so Fantastic. it's a board church. Yeah. That's I think I'll, I'll be involved in the uh, MasterChef and the nail art. Uh, uh, you know. The nail art is about the most popular, actually. This I believe year. it. It's I phenomenal. can believe it. Yeah. I can believe yeah. it. Uh, um, and and how long do those activities go on for uh, uh, at the end of the school? Is it an extra hour? Or? It's an hour. Yeah, it's an hour. Find out what this school believes about specific topics. Uh, let's talk about uh, the school's position on you know a variety of different things. Uh, small schools generally don't have a problem with managing student behaviour, but how do you uh, uh, facilitate positive behaviour patterns at the school? Well, you're quite right. We don't. It, it's very rare that there is um, something that needs to be facilitated. I think in in that way, partly because we're a small school, and you know these things can be if they are upcoming, they can be found and nipped in the bud very quickly. But also, I think because who we are as a school, it, it just genuinely doesn't come up very often. Right. Um, but when it does, I think our approach to it is to see this as a as a learning opportunity. So for the child or the children involved, um, it, it's very much about how did you end up in this place. And how can you not end up there again? And if you've caused anyone else harm or pain or hurt of any kind in the process, then, you know, what do you what do you do to make that better, if you like? Sure. Um, so it's always very much an approach as a learning opportunity. And, and how can we bring the kids something positive from whatever relatively minor negative experiences has been gone right. through? Sure. And what about um, sustainability? Obviously, it's one of your pillars. Uh, how does that manifest itself in, in your school? Really across the board. So everything from, for example, um, our cleaning materials are organic. We're very lucky in Hoi An. There's a, one of the small businesses that I've mentioned. So many people set up. One of them is organic um, cleaning products. So 
we purchase everything from her mosquito spraying we don't we very rarely you know we do have to spray from mosquitoes because you have dengue but we try as much as possible to use lemongrass and other alternatives so on the chemical side um recycling we have a recycling system which the kids are sort of in charge of and have developed they've made different recycle bins around um the school with different colors and so on um energy conversation uh, conversation <laughs> conservation and they're the, the kids are taught from very early age age when he's leave the room you switch off the light you switch off the fan and you switch off the aircon mostly you're not using the aircon if you can avoid it you'd rather open the window than switch on the aircon so all of these things food waste as i've mentioned already um everything right from early years all the way through the school these are reinforced as basic principles of life don't waste what you don't need um don't use a chemical where you can avoid using a chemical recycle or reuse or upscale or upcycle whatever you possibly can um and then yeah and uh, through the learning experience as well so th those are the lived experiences but in the classroom the message is constantly reinforced as well fantastic and what's the school's position on homework how does that work oh, that's a tricky one isn't it for any school it is it's a horrible question <laughs> it, it's it's <laughs> so controversial because parents have such strong feelings and those strong feelings can be so polar opposite to somebody else's strong feelings we do have homework um and obviously that increases as the kids get older uh in secondary it's it's tied to the subjects and it's tied to the requirements of the curriculum to get them to that exam stage at IC, igcse um in primary we use it as an extension of what they've done in the classroom. So a sort of a reinforcement. Um, and again, it might be earlier on in primary, the younger kids, it may just be a home reader that they can look at with their mum before dinner or something light sure. and easy and fun. The point is, again, is that reinforcement, not only of the learning, but of the enjoyment of learning. Um, and then as time progresses through secondary, it becomes more formalised and it becomes more structured uh, in line with the curriculum requirements right and attendance um attendance. if families have personal questions that they need to go abroad or go away how flexible are you around attendance well we we are as flexible as we can be with i guess it, the caveat being again the curriculum so as the kids get older uh, i mean we've had some families say look we're going to be gone for two months and we that's going to impact your child's learning. Of course, we can't stop you going away from two months if, if that's what you wish to do, but your child's learning will be affected by that. Um, yeah, we we have, a, we have a system, we monitor attendance. If we are concerned about attendance and perhaps the parents aren't aware there's an issue, then we will bring that to their attention. But again, it's something that we haven't really addressed. Um, but it is, it's overall, I think it's a question of negotiation with the families if somebody does need to go and there's some reason for it that's a family matter but we need to make them aware if that will impact their child's learning and then they can make an informed decision Indeed. and and talking about uh learning yeah, um, how do you support uh uh children who perhaps have some learning difficulties or or some challenges uh on their learning journey at the moment we don't have a dedicated uh learning support teacher uh, we have had in the past and we hope to again in the future, but right now we, we don't have that. But what we do have is we call it a student success team. And this will be a, a group of people. Uh, the makeup of that group may change depending on the, the child and the needs sure. of that child. 
Um, but it would be a group of people who will include, for example, the head of school, section head, counsellor, EAL specialist, classroom teacher, parents, and get everybody together. So if there is a concern and if there is support required, those who can collaborate to offer that support will get together and make a plan. And then there'll be a, a personalised learning plan for that child. And that will be followed until the child gets to the point where they can reintegrate fully into the class as a whole. Find out about all the practical stuff you need to know. Let's move on to some practical stuff now. Um, is there a dress code? There is a dress code. Um, it focuses on on respect and sort of basic cleanliness. Uh, it's not designed to stifle individuality or expression or creativity, but it is designed to ensure that people are respectful. Um, we don't have a uniform per se. We do have a PE uniform and you know, students can buy that from the school office. It's around $25 for one set. And we also have house shirts. We've got the three schoolhouses that I told you. Um, right. they, they can buy a house shirt. Fantastic. And you mentioned earlier the food provision. I'm really excited to learn a bit more about uh, uh, this wonderful food that you serve. How does it work? Well, we have... Um, uh, kitchen on site and three wonderful chefs led by Miss Tao who all the kids adore and they they cook everything from scratch uh, day to day and we have as I said we have the, the morning snack lunchtime and then the, the early years kids will have an afternoon snack before they go home um, primary and secondary will have fresh fruit or occasionally a cookie or something for their pudding after the after the main meal we don't offer a um a variety of menus each day were too small so the menu is always the same uh, each day it's different but on a given day it's a, it's a single meal um, but there will be a vegetarian option a vegan option uh, we can cater to some allergies as long as we're aware of them we have had uh, requirements so we have of course for halal food before which we've managed to accommodate um, so and the, the menu uh, will combine western and asian dishes okay. so we'll have everything from one of the favourites is kaolao, which is a um, a pork noodle dish, which is local to Hoi An, and our chef makes the best kaolao ever. <laughs> um, and then on the Western food, one of the kids' favourites is chicken wraps. So the, the wraps, the sort of tortilla wraps are homemade um, on site, and then the chicken, and then you've got grated uh, carrot and cucumber and and um, beetroot. I'm starting to feel hungry and, already, Catherine. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so um we we've just started this year to charge for food um but if if families don't want to then they can opt out and the parents can bring in food for their child as long as sort of in line with our philosophy of, of what a healthy meal is but to my knowledge this year i think we maybe have had one or two children who've done that and they've done that for allergy reasons not for taste right. reasons so and how much does it cost, roughly, uh, to, to, to take part in the food programme? We charge about 14 million dong for the year, which is, what's that? Sounds a lot to me. Oh, it, it, <laughs> yes, it's, it's 23,000 dong to a, pound, to, to a US dollar, um, so it's not a lot. Okay, no, it, not, a lot. not a lot. Not a lot. Okay. It's not a lot. Especially it does sound it, wrong, but it's not a lot. Fantastic, fantastic. And you mentioned the busing service. Uh, uh, how does that work? We've got buses uh, travelling from Da Nang, which is about 45 or 50 minutes up the road. 
Um, and the, the shortest distance are within Hoi An, which is maybe only a five or 10 minute trip. So we have buses for everybody, to, regardless of how far they're traveling. Um, the vast majority of our students actually come to school by bus. And after we move, likelihood is almost everybody will because it, it won't, we won't be in the center of the town anymore. Um, it's charged by the distance traveled. Uh, we have a morning bus service and then we have two afternoon bus services, one for the end of school and one for the end of the ECA program. Fantastic. And is that a charged program or is that included? The, the buses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the buses are charged and they're charged depending on the distance traveled. So it's under 5K, 5 to 10, 10 to 15 and over Okay. Yeah, Fantastic. No, over twenty k's, I think, is our biggest. And and in terms of um, holiday programs, do you offer anything uh, when the school uh, uh, isn't formally uh, uh, sitting? We do have a four-week summer school program. Um, again, the word "school" is a bit of a misnomer because it, sure. it's not an academic program; it is a play-based program. So the kids can sign up for a day, a week, or for the whole four weeks, and, and we do get a variety of different sign-ups depending on people's travel plans and so on over the holiday uh, we tend to um, put up information about it usually in April May or so possibly possibly more May <laughs> sure. um, and that that details we, we try to have a theme each week so there'll be an overriding theme and within that there will be a different theme each week and you can sign up for as much or a little um, as you like and we try to make that very affordable because it is just it's a summer play program Discover how much everything is going to cost. So everything has to be paid for. Um, we've talked about the, the annual fees. Um, are there any enrolment fees or associated fees that parents need to be aware of? We do have an enrolment fee and an application fee, um, both of which are due, obviously, at the beginning of, of the enrolment process. They add up to around 600 US dollars or a little under. Um, and then we also have a development fee, which I think is, again, certainly in Southeast Asia is very standard. Some people like to call it a facilities fee, um, but it is for the for anything that's related to the long-term growth of the school. So your tuition fee covers your tuition for your child for that year. And the development fee might be for the extension facilities. It might be for CIS accreditation, you know, anything that is the long term building of the school. Right. And how much are those fees? How much are those fees? For the development fee is around 23 million, which is about a thousand US dollars. OK, is that annual or is that a, uh, um, a one off payment? That's an annual payment. Okay. And in terms of uh, IGCSE's exam costs, are they passed on or does the school uh, uh, cover them? We do pass those on. Uh, that's a sort of a, a legacy issue when we had students who were taking different numbers of exams and different types of exams, which were all charged differently. So we felt it was fairer that we charge those according to use. At the moment, that we happen to have a, a unified program and everybody's doing the same, but for legacy reasons, we do charge on the cost of those exams. Okay. And in terms of uh, any fee reductions, uh, either scholarships or um, uh, reductions for sibling discounts, uh, how does the school handle mm -hmm. that? For siblings, we have a 5% discount for your first sibling and actually second and third siblings that increases. 
So you can go onto the website and you go to admissions and then there's a fees section and you can download the fee policy, which will give you all of this in detail. So we do have that discount. We also have an, what we call an early payment discount, um, which is if you pay for the full upcoming year by the end of May, you'll receive a discount of 5% on the fees. So those are sort of standardized discounts. In addition to which, we have a scholarship program for our secondary school, uh, primarily targeting IGCSE pro, uh, children, but we do also have a facility for lower secondary. Uh, and we also have a bursary program. So those who are not applying for a scholarship per se, but do need financial assistance, um, you can come and talk to us about that. So on the fee page of the website, there's information about all of those different, the fee policy is there as long as it's along with the schedule, but also information about the scholarship and bursary programs. Learn about the admissions process and how to secure a place. Well, let's talk a little bit about admissions now. Say so, uh, you've convinced me I, I want my child to come to your school. How should I go about uh, uh, approaching getting a place? Well, you contact the school. Uh, you can contact via the admissions at greenshoots.edu.vn. Um, and the application process actually goes through Open Apply, which is our right. application system. And through that, you'll be asked for the documentation that we need, which is usually a school report, a confidential reference and proof of vaccinations and, and passport details. So that all goes through the Open Apply system once you've contacted us and we've linked you up with an account. Right. And, and to, is there uh, admissions testing? Do students need to reach a certain level in order to, to gain a place? Not per se, but we do at certain, as the kids get older, we do have language requirements because obviously to access the curriculum, you have to have a certain level of English once you reach a certain age. So for younger children, we will take on a non-English speaker and they will learn as they go. But clearly when you get to upper secondary, that's not going to work. So we don't have a testing system per se, um, but if we think that there is a testing need or if you think if it's possible that there's a a learning need that we need to be sure we can meet, then we will put some testing requirements in place just to assess um, the suitability of our school to, to your child. Right. And if a parent has questions around admissions, who should they contact? Uh, the admissions staff. Um, if there's an IT issue, we will put you in touch with IT. Um, but yes, again, via that email, admissions at, which again is on the website, somebody will get back to you probably the next day, um, but certainly pretty quickly to make sure that you've got all the information you need and any support that you need. Fantastic. And new families that arrive um, into your school, how do you uh, help them integrate into your community? Once they have gone through the process of enrolling with the school, so we as a school have given them all the support that we're able to and answered all the questions that we're able to answer for them, then we pass them on to the family network or the parent network. Um, and the parent network is really great at helping people settle. So they'll help with meeting other people, identifying places where you can shop, uh, banks, medical providers, all of those practical things, um, but also bringing them out, taking them for coffees, introducing them to other people, um, real estate agents, all of that. So the parent network sort of picks up where the school leaves off at a certain point in that transitional process. Let's sum everything up. So 
So there's obviously an awful lot to love about your school. Um, what do you like most about it, though? I think as the parents and the kids, I think it's that sense of community. We really have built a community and it's a it's a genuine community. And I think people feel that you we tour new families and they walk away and they go, this is a family. This feels like a family. So that, I think, is is my what I love best about it. But also that the the genuine, real, deep-seated commitment to the values that we have, and we really do live them and mean them. And I think that also is incredibly important for me in combination with this engaging and challenging academic program that I hope I've managed to sort of transmit to you. So for me, it'd be those three things, I think. Fantastic. And what does your perfect student look like in your school? What would they be uh, doing? What kind of things would you would you be seeing in them? I think it's much less what they'd be doing and who they would be and I think for me it would be they would be inquisitive they would be respectful happy um generous in spirit ambitious in life and I don't just mean professionally but much more broadly in their in their outlook but all of those things are what we hope to instill in the children it's not a prerequisite for joining the school it's not what we ask you to come with it's what we hope we can give you and you can leave with that be my ideal student. Fantastic, Catherine. It's been such a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you for your time and uh, all my best wishes welcome. to the school. We hope you found your perfect school today. Thank you so much for being with us today. And please don't forget to subscribe and share the School Selector podcast.